Oh, you, you longtime New Springers know that I'm a huge fan of Abraham Lincoln. He, I think he is the quintessential leader. But his presidency was pretty well characterized and defined by the Civil War. Um, the war broke out not long after his inauguration in 61, and it lasted until right after his inauguration in 65 of his second term. So pretty well Lincoln's presidency was defined by the Civil War. But he was frustrated for almost that entire time because even though the North had overwhelming numbers, they kept either losing or being in stalemates, or at times they would win a battle and then the general would let the army of the South, the armies of the South escape. And so Lincoln was frustrated with his generals and he wound up having to fire several of them, McClellan and, and um, Burnside and Bragg and Ambrose. And he just totally frustrated because his generals wouldn't fight. And when they had the upper hand, they, they, they wouldn't press it. So I tell you that so that when I read this telegram to you that Abraham Lincoln wrote uh, two days before the surrender of the Civil War, you might have some understanding of what he meant. This is to General Grant, and it is on the morning of April the 7th at 11 o'clock in the morning. And here is the following message. Sheridan, that's General Sheridan. Sheridan says, if the thing is pressed... I think that Lee will surrender. Lincoln responded, press the thing. A. Lincoln. <laughs> of all my Lincoln quotes, I think that is among my very favorites. Press the thing. I mean, it's almost like, what do you think we've been doing for the last five years? If the thing be pressed, then Lee will surrender. And I think, it, you know, at that moment, Abraham Lincoln must have thought, am I the only sane human being in the United States of America? Push the thing. Push the thing. Well, in my brief talk today, that's what I want to talk about. I, I want to get in the spirit of Lincoln for just a moment and say to all of us, whatever the thing is in your life, push the thing. Our series has been called Push, and I love that word because, well, for us, the word push has several definitions, at least in the positive context. Um, I think about push in the context of someone who has a strong work ethic, someone who doesn't just accept things the way they are, someone who is willing to push and make stuff happen. I look for staff like that. New Spring staff is always understaffed. It is a challenging place to work. It's like you're on a tight wire a 1,000 feet up with no net. There's no redundancy here. So consequently, as I always say, I'm looking for people with high cap and low blood pressure. <laughs> I mean by that, I want people to be in the fire and yet be comfortable in the fire. And thankfully, we have a dream team staff. So push in that regard is work ethic. Another way I think about the term push is sometimes the struggle of life is recognized or defined by a push. And some of you have to say this to yourself. If, I, if anything's going to happen around here, I've got to push it. I've got to push. If, if anything's going to happen, I, there, it's, it's always something that I have to push. And I understand that. And then I think about, I thought about this as I was getting ready for the series. Uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson started an organization years ago called Operation Push. And his, his challenge to young African-Americans was for them to understand. I remember a particular sermon that he brought, and he said to young African-Americans, don't just buy shoes at the store, own the store. Push. And then, you know, maybe this is simplistic, but I think about something that is stalled. Things that are stalled sometimes have to be pushed out of inertia. I mean, for instance, how many of you had a car that you would say to yourself, I had to get out and push? See, here's the thing. Push is the opposite of passive. 
pushes the opposite of accepting the status quo. So for every person here today, you have a couple of choices that you have to make. And the first choice, and and I say instantly, I doubt anybody at New Spring is here. I imagine you pick a different church, but there is a decision between pushing and being passive, just becoming a perpetual victim. As I said, I don't think you would pick New Spring if that is who you are, but I have met people who have just decided, well, you know what? The way things are is the way things are, and I'm just going to lie down, and I'm going to accept it. So you have to make that decision to just push or accept the status quo. don't think you would be in that vein, so let's just all assume that we've decided to push, and we're not going to be passive. Now you've got another decision to make, and this one's a lot tougher. And I often find myself on the, myself on the wrong side of this decision. It is the decision to make, the choice to make, do I push and depend on myself to make everything happen, or do I understand that when I get to the edge of my capabilities, pushing means I'm going to have to do something else, and that is what this series has been about, praying until something happens. Let me just tell you what goes wrong with me. Just as, you know, confession is good for the soul, it's bad for the reputation, but let me just tell you what I can be, how I can be sometimes. I sometimes find myself in that first category because I cannot accept the status quo. Status quo to me is Latin for the mess we're in. So I, I, I don't like the status quo. I'm always pushing, but typically I push myself. And that's a good thing in a lot of, a lot of areas. It has helped me develop skills and capabilities that God has invested me with. But all of us know what it's like to get to that click point where you have done everything that you can do, and you know what it's like to continue to push yourself past that point. That is where we develop things like anxiety. And for those of you who struggle with depression, sometimes that can exacerbate the depression. Sometimes we begin to do very unwise things because we are continuing to push ourselves past that point of our capability. See, here is the thing. The people who make the wise choice at that moment understand something, that it is unwise to continue to push yourself to do something that you cannot produce. And at that moment, push begins to mean something else. It means to pray until something happens. It is the involvement of God in doing what we cannot do. Well, let me just take a moment to say something here. Obviously, God has given us the capabilities to do certain things and to pray about those things happening when we have the capability to make them happen, well, that's foolish. I mean, if, if I can do something, then God expects me to do it. Now, my prayer needs to be thanksgiving for him giving me the capabilities, thanksgiving for him giving me the day, thanksgiving for all the opportunities he's placed before me. But I mean, this is absurd, but let me just make the argument from absurdium. I mean, I can take the trash out, took it out this morning right after breakfast, Um, But here's the thing. If I just stayed in a house that was filling up with trash and I said, oh, dear God, please take the trash out for me. It's not going to happen, right? That's within my capability to pray about something that I have the capability of doing. I mean, here's the thing. There's a whole lot of stuff that you and I could make happen today by just taking out our plastic card that's right or, or, or writing a check. There are a lot of things that we could do by just exercising the capabilities that God has given to us. But when we come to the edge of that point where we've reached the end, as the old hymn says, the end of our hoarded resources, at that moment, we need to choose to pray until something happens. I'm very fortunate in my life to be married to Mary Alice because for her, prayer comes very natural. The other day, Mary Alice was praying over me. 
And I thought to myself as I heard her voice praying for me, I thought the sweetest sound I've ever heard is my wife praying for me. Because it is her nature to choose. I mean, no one works harder. No one pushes herself more than she does to be excellent in everything she does. But she's so aware of coming to that click point where she realizes that there is nothing that's going to help her except the power of God. I want to talk to you today about pushing the thing. Now, here's the deal. If when you come to the edge of what you're able to do, why would you reach out to God? Because there are those who don't believe in God, or there are those who are 21st century American Christians who go to church all week, but God is just some sort of distant hypothesis. He is not that functional, busy, all-powerful person in their lives. So let's ask the question, why God? Why do I reach out to God when I come to the edge of what I can do? Now, I don't know if this is good grammar or not, but it's something I've always said in my life. God is the God of the happening. What, however else you think, whatever else you think that God is, God is the God who makes things happen. He is the one who spoke and the world came into existence. He is the one who sculpted the first human being out of dust and blew into his breath, the, the, the breath into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living person. God is the one who created everything. Now, I, I, know, I was born at night, really was, but not last night. And I know that there are those who would say, I don't believe that. I don't know that I believe in a God. There's not evidence of God. So consequently, I just believe that it all happened. I don't know that I've ever really met anybody who could truly debate that for very long. I mean, think about this for just a moment. You know, if a person truly believes that everything that exists just happened, you shouldn't go outside without a helmet on. <laughs> Serious. I mean, here's the thing. Let's just take DNA, for instance. We didn't even know DNA existed in 1958. At least we didn't have a clear, clear understanding. We don't know that we have, a, we still don't have a clear understanding. But, but, but Watson and Crick, DNA, 1958. I was born in 1956. So even in my lifetime, we just barely even know it exists. So you have 30 trillion cells in your body, at least, that we know of. That's the current count today. And inside all those cells are the, the long molecule of DNA that has all your information and the capability to replicate itself. And so you have all this DNA inside your body. Now, let's think about for something for a moment. If you were to like unwind all the strands of DNA in your body right now, do you know how long it would be? And all this is just encoded information about you. It would take you all the way, you, you could take all of your DNA from here all the way to the sun. Now, the sun is 100 million miles away. It's 92 million, but let's round it up. Sun is 100 million miles away. So you could take all the DNA in your body, unwind it, all of that is programmed information about your hair color. I mean, after all, we're watching these commercials. If you want to know about your DNA, send your DNA, and we can find out what your ancestry is. I mean, you think about this. All the way to the sun and back. 16 more times. That's the programming that is inside your body. We barely understand it. We're starting to learn to manipulate it a little bit. And yet people are saying it happened by accident. I'm serious. If a person really believed this, you shouldn't go outside without a helmet on. No. Hey, I'm an old debater. I'll take this debate every day and three times on Sunday. God is the God of the happening. 
He is the one who spoke the world into existence. He is the one who sculpted the first human being out. He is the God, and he could have done any way he wished, but he is the God who opened the Red Sea, who closed the mouths of Daniel's lions. He is the God in the person of Jesus who walked on water, stopped the storm. He is the God who took five loaves of bread, turned it into enough food to feed 20,000 people. He is the God who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. And the thing about God is he is the same God who listens to your prayer. I love that. Are you realizing today that the God who wrote the codes for DNA is the same one who listens to you when you pray about even the tiniest thing in your life? He is the God of the happening. Now, let me go to another area because some of us come from various faith traditions. Some of us come from spiritual traditions, but we have not been part of faith. Let me just explain something about prayer that to me is huge. God doesn't outsource prayer. You know, God directly listens to prayer. You know, every once in a while somebody will say, well, I pray to the saints. Well, first of all, the concept of saints as we have it in religion is not a biblical concept. The Bible speaks of every person who's accepted Jesus Christ as being a saint. So consequently, you're a saint. I don't know if you knew that or not. Even regardless of what your wife said to you on the way to church here today, <laughs> if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. Tell her that on the way home. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe that's not like that. Just say Mark said. You know, some, you're St. Teresa, you're St. Joanne, you're St. Jason, I'm St. Mark, nice to meet you. I mean, the idea of praying to saints is both, it, 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 you know, well-intentioned, I'm sure, but that's not in the Bible. And there are people that tell me, well, my loved one has passed and they're in heaven, and they're having a wonderful time, I'm sure, but you're not praying to them because only one person is the God of the happening, and thank God, he doesn't outsource prayer. And on top of that, he has asked you to bring even the smallest concerns that you have to him. That is awesome to me. Now, I've seen it happen. You know, I, some, one of the things I... I love about heaven is we'll have time to talk about all these things. You know, the clock keeps ticking here at New Spring. But there's so many stories. And for some reason, as I got ready for this sermon, I was actually thinking about a couple little girls that I prayed for through the years. I remember when I was in Houston, I first graduated from college. And we were an inner city church. And there were many children from the inner city who managed to get to our church. And one little girl's name was Glenn. Strange. All of you who are young, it'll be amazing when you're 40 years older how much you can remember from your life right now and you can't remember from yesterday. Um, everybody over 50 just knows exactly what I'm talking about. I was 22 years old when I went there. I remember her name. I remember her address. It was 5002. I could tell you the street, but I'm not. Anyway, she loved our church, and she wanted her parents to come to our church. And so she would come to the leaders of our church and say, is there any way that a pastor can go see my mom and dad? And so I went week after week to see her mom and dad. I was young and dumb. I didn't know if they told you no, that you should never come back. I just went back every week. And, and her dad, by the way, I'm still that way too. Um, her dad would like give me various ways of explaining it. He was not interested in talking to me. And I remember that. Week in, week out, I would go see him because it was so important to Glenn. But one week, Glenn got sick and very sick and had to be taken to the hospital. She's taken to Parker Hospital there on the north side of Houston. Not as a mid-sized hospital. So I drove there. And as I walked back into the children's intensive care unit where she was, all her family were gathered around. 
And as I walked in, they glared at me. And I've never been so unwelcome in my life. I mean, they made it very clear. They didn't want to see me. They didn't want to talk to me. They wished I wasn't there. So I just basically said, is it okay if I have a prayer with Glenn and leave? And they looked at me as if, like, if we let you pray a short prayer, will you leave? And I felt that. I mean, honestly, I prayed for her and walked out. And I thought, wow, I've never been made to feel so unwelcome in all my life. But she was very sick, I could tell. I mean, just screaming, fever, raging. Well, in, in about a week or so, I had gotten word that she had gone home, and I was glad to hear that, but I thought, well, I'm going to go over and see the family, and I just sort of, you know how it is, you just sort of prepare yourself, because I'm like, walk, I can still see the door, I can still see the sidewalk. I'm walking up to the door, and I'm just waiting for them to open the door and glare at me and say, go away. I still remember her dad answered the door. He was the meanest one. <laughs> her dad opened the door and he saw me and he said, Reverend Hoover's with the, you know, he wasn't a church person. Reverend Hoover, please come inside. Please come inside. Would you, would you please be seated here? I'm going to call all the rest of the family to come in. And then they did what they do in the South. They offer you a glass of iced tea. That's what Southerners do. <laughs> offer me a glass of iced tea. I have never been more loved and treated well in my life. I'm trying to figure out what happened here. And then finally, the dad tells me. He said, Glenn had a raging fever. It was going up past 105. She was screaming. She was in pain. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with her. An ambulance was on its way from the hospital complex on the south side of Houston, Texas Children's Hospital. An ambulance was coming there to take her to Texas Children's. And he said, we were terrified. We thought she was dying. And he said, you came in and prayed, and instantly every, all the symptoms went away. We were able to take her home that evening. But there is a story that some of you old New Springers will remember. The year was 2011. Some of you remember me talking about just having, at the end of 2010, hitting a period of exhaustion and just fatigue and where I just collapsed and fell apart. I've told you about that in various series. When I came back in 2011 and began to preach, everybody was kind of worried about me a little bit. You know, I felt like everybody was like my elderly aunt that was just patting me on the hand. Everybody was kind of watching me to make sure, is Mark okay? Is he feeling okay? So I was in a series called Red Letters. I don't know if any of you remember that or not. It was in a series called Red Letters, and it was all about what I figured the eight things Jesus said that were most important, not that I knew, but we were counting them down. And in the second week of that series, I wound up talking about Jesus the healer, and I told the story about how that Jesus had healed a woman who had been ill with a hemorrhage for 12 years, and then how he raised a little 12-year-old girl from the dead. And Honestly, I knew I had preached the Bible, but I walked off the stage at those doors over there, and I remember walking out of the doors thinking, you know what, I hope those people know what that sermon was about, because I'm not completely sure I know myself. My office was over here in those days, so I circled around the back of the South Worship Center and walked to my office, and Mary Alice was standing by the door to meet me, and she said, Mark, I know you're exhausted, but if there's any way you can, you need to go to Wesley Hospital tonight. And she named the family, and I had known them for years. She said the little girl was in a tragic, tragic accident. She may be dead now. They're expecting her to die any minute. But she said, I think if there's any way you can just go be with that family. Well, let me tell you the backstory of the accident. It was in the spring. You know how we burn fields here in Wichita or Kansas? And they were burning a field. It was down south of the city somewhere. 
And mother was driving this little girl. She was sitting in the front passenger seat. They drove into some smoke. What they did not know was that there were two men who were sitting on the road going opposite directions, sitting still talking to each other. The truck in the lane that Megan and her mother were driving in was a flatbed truck. As I understand the accident, the corner of the flatbed truck sheared the top off the car on the passenger side and hit Megan in the head. The officers, the highway patrol who worked the scene said there was brain matter in the car. This little girl, for all intents and purposes, is no longer with us. Her body is continuing to function because it is helped by life-saving devices. So I get to the children's building at Wesley and ride up to the Pete ICU and meet the family. And I'm taken into the room where the family is with me. Now I pray with that family a preacher prayer. I know it was from my, it was from my heart, it was sincere, but it was kind of prayer preacher's pray, you know, holding everybody's hand. We're all around the bedside of this little girl who basically has already left us, we think. And I pray a prayer and close out the prayer in Jesus' name. I didn't think she was going to live. Nobody holding my hand thought she was going to live. And if she did, we didn't have any hope. Well, we dropped hands and we started to walk out. We did walk out of the room. I even said hello to a nurse who introduced herself as a new springer. I think I left my glasses. I'm trying to always try, I've always tried to remember exactly why I went back. I'm almost positive I left my glasses. And I went back into the room, and as I walked back into the room, suddenly it was just a little girl and me. It was just Megan and me. I reached down and took her left wrist in my hand and prayed what has got to be the worst prayer anybody ever prayed. Here's what I prayed. I said, Jesus, if you're what I just told those people you are, you could do something here. That's all I said. I mean, nobody's ever going to like put that on their wall. <laughs> Maybe we should. I don't know. I mean, that's all I said. Jesus, if you're who I told those people you are tonight, you could do something here. And I put her wrist down and left the room. But I thought she was going to die. But the next morning, as it turned out, she was still still alive. And I asked the church, I asked the two services on Sunday morning as, we, as you're in the first of those today, I asked the church to pray for her for the little girl. And then, uh, but I thought she was going to die. I mean, anytime we're just like waiting for the clock to tick out. And then the next day she was still alive and got a little worse, but still alive. And then later on in the week, she was still with us. And the family were saying to the doctor, you know, we think that she is responding to us. And the well-intentioned doctor said, no, no, she's not responding to you. It's just, it's just an automatic, autonomic nervous system. He said, he said watch. He said, I can, I can. He took the same wrist that I had prayed with. He took the wrist and he said, watch, I'll, I'll pinch it. I'll pinch her wrist and she'll react. But it's just, it's, he pinched her wrist and she said, ouch. <laughs> well, that lit everything on fire. 
And then she began to improve. Later on, and I was in Kansas City. I got the call from her dad. They were going to take her to the hospital in Kansas City. By the time they were going to roll her out, she actually stepped up and got into the ambulance. It was just a few weeks before she was home. Some of you will remember back in those days, the day that she jumped up on stage with me and I introduced her to the audience. She's now, she was a 4.0 student. You know what? I got a message from someone, one of the New Springers who was in the church the morning I asked everybody to pray. Is it okay if I read her message to me? Here's what it said. Mark, this past weekend I was at the service when you asked New Spring for prayers for the little girl who needed a miracle. I was almost upset with you for asking us all to pray for her. I was overcome with emotion and tears and had to get up and leave to compose myself in the restroom. See, I was one of the trauma nurses on the team that cared for her when she first came in. I saw this 11-year-old girl lying there breathless with head injuries so bad there was actual brain matter coming out of her head. I felt her situation was hopeless. I even prayed that she would make it long enough to maybe be an organ donor and at least give the gift of life to another child. I've been a nurse for 18 years. I've never seen a child recover from this extensive of a head injury. So when you asked us to pray for the girl, my thought was, no, he has it all wrong. We should be praying for her family, not her. She's already in God's hands. When I returned to work the following week, I watched closely, even as she got worse. In fact, I usually make it a point to introduce myself to the parents and let them know if there's anything they need to call me and give them my phone number. However, I didn't do that with her parents. Every time I thought about it, I was in fear I'd just fall apart in front of them because I couldn't get what she looked like that night in my trauma bay out of my mind. On Thursday, when I went to work and made rounds with our trauma team, I could not believe not only her progress, but what she was able to do in such a short time. I thought about you asking us to pray and how you did have it right. Today, when you updated New Spring, I thought to myself that you and I may be the only ones that really know the power of prayer, the only ones that really know how grim it truly was for her. 18 years of not just nursing, but intensive care nursing, trauma nursing, and teaching others how to save lives, and never have I ever seen this happen like it has for her. I feel not only blessed for her and her family, but blessed that I was able to witness God's healing and power. You know what? 21st century Americans are so used to everything being instant. You might just want to pray. You might want to push the thing. You might want to pray until something happens. I mean, my wife tells me all the time, Mark, it doesn't hurt to ask. But now let me go to the other side of this subject, though. Because no matter how long you pray, you will discover that there is always a mystery to prayer. I, in the 61 years that I've lived, I've seen God do extraordinary things. I could write volumes of books about answered prayer that I've actually watched God bring about, but rarely does he ever work the same way twice. Prayer is almost never formulaic. For one thing, there's a, and, and this is one of the most important things that this series is going to say, so please hold on. There will always be a mystery to prayer. First of all, there is the mystery of when. I have had God actually answer prayers before I prayed them. After I left Houston, I came back to help my dad and work in his church, which was also another inner city church. In fact, even more inner city in Fort Worth. And when I came back to the church, I realized that most of the people there were older and there weren't a whole lot of kids in the church. So I went to young adults who were kids that I had grown up with in the church, and I convinced a number of these young couples to help me begin a prehistoric version of Kids World. And we worked hard, and it began, I mean, it just exploded in growth. But 
as we were in those days in inner city church, there were many kids who wanted to come who simply did not have transportation. And I was stressing, I actually was driving back to Houston to preach at my old church. And all the way to Houston and all the way back, I was stressing over, I hadn't talked to anybody about this, and not even Mary Alice, just thinking while I was driving. I was like, how can I get these kids to church? Now, in those days, all I had was a Volkswagen Rabbit, diesel, which meant you had to get out and push, basically, to get it up a hill. Now, all of y'all too young know what a Volkswagen Rabbit is. Just imagine the smallest car you can possibly imagine cut it in half. That's a Volkswagen Rabbit. And so there was Mary Alice and me in the car, and Jonathan was a baby, but there's no way in the world I could pick up all these kids who wanted to go to church. And so on, on the way back, I think I was probably about to Ennis, Texas, there on I-45, I was thinking, I started praying to God, and I said, God, it would be awesome if I could have like an old passenger van that Mary Alice and I could drive around and pick up all these kids. Is God is my witness. We get back to our home outside of Fort Worth. We're bringing our luggage out of the Volkswagen Rabbit when, with the kitchen door now open because we're carrying the luggage in. The phone rings, and I'm running to answer the phone, and it's my dad on the phone. And dad is saying, Mark, I know this is going to sound crazy. We had a guy in our church named Roger Haney who had a used car dealership. He said, I just got a call from Roger a couple hours ago, and he said he's got this Ford van that's in really, really good shape. It's got, a little, got some years on it. And he was just wondering, is there any way you would want that? I did the math and realized that God had already given the answer before I even thought to pray for it. We shouldn't be surprised at that because Jesus said, your Father in heaven knows what you have need of before you ask. Amen. So I've actually had God answer prayers before I ever prayed them. And then there are times when, as with Megan, God answers prayer in what appears to be a timely fashion to me. I pray, and in a reasonable, to me, amount of time, God gives me the answer. But then there were things that I prayed for days and weeks and months and years for. There is a mystery to win. But if you think that's something, there's also a mystery to the what. Because there have been times when God gives me exactly what I ask for. I mean, it's like that van. I mean, I, I could see it in my head before I was given it. I, I got exactly what I asked for. How many times have you gotten something when you prayed that instantly you recognized was way better than what you asked for? You prayed and you got the answer and it was like, oh God, this is awesome. And you get on Facebook and you tell all your friends and you say it was a God thing. And it is. So there are times when you get exactly what you asked for. There are times when you... You get better than you asked for, but then there are times you pray for something and God puts something strange in your hands. And you're like, I don't know about this. And only later on you discover it was exactly the right thing. But let me talk to those of you who have walked with God, and by that I mean you've had a relationship with God for a long time. The weirdest thing that will happen sometimes when you pray, just being straight with you, because it's a mystery is that sometimes you will pray and God will take something out of your hand. Now that's a challenge. But always remember this. God has no hesitation to take away good in order to bring better. He has no even hesitation to take away better in order to bring best. But my challenge is in the interim time. Because when God takes good out of my hand, while he is going to get best, my hand is empty. And it's a challenge at that moment to say that God is still good all the time. But I have discovered that God, God is magnificent in all that he does. 
See, the thing about it is, there, there are two things, and, I, and this is where I'm really getting into an area that I really can't explain, except I know these things are true. Understand that when you pray, you are linking up who you are to who God is. So many times we expect prayer to work like one human being linking up with a slightly more powerful human being. But the word of God tells us that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So when frail Mark, flawed Mark, when I link up with God, I am bringing all my flawed brokenness and linking up with the God of the universe. So consequently, it is always going to be mysterious to me how God works. It's one of the reasons I think we have been harmed greatly by a lot of television preaching of the last era or what some would call the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel attempted to make it formulaic in nature as if to say, especially if you give money to this television broadcast, then you will get the answers to all your prayers, like putting six quarters in a machine and getting a Sprite out. But all of us have looked at that, and we've known that something is crazy. I mean, there was this movement for a long time that drew in a lot of people, and it caused a lot of people to lose their faith because, unfortunately, there were a lot of preachers who were not exactly telling the truth. It's like the story of the man who was in the healing line of one of these faith healers, and when his turn finally came to get up to the faith healer, the faith healer said, what can I pray for you, sir, and pray for you about, sir? And the guy said, it's my hearing. And so the faith healer, and some of you are old enough to remember these guys had the white suits, you know, and the red handkerchiefs and all this stuff. He put his hands on his ears and began to pray loud for God to restore this man's hearing. And he pulled his hands away dramatically and said, now, what about your hearing? And the guy said, I don't know. It's next Tuesday at the courthouse. <laughs> That's not how God works. There's a mystery. Some of you have a paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. It just puts the Bible in simple language called the message. Eugene Peterson is the one who's responsible for the message. Sometimes it's really, really good. Sometimes it's just okay. But my favorite line out of the message is from Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, where Jesus is speaking, and he says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. This is my favorite line of the message. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That is prayer. In prayer, you're linking up with God. And remember this, for us so often, prayer is about the answer with God. It is about the relationship. Well, it's time for me to end this series. And I don't want to end on theory. I want to end on practicality. How many of you have a situation in your life that you can't fix. If you can fix it, go fix it. I mean, not right now, but I mean, fix it. If it's writing a check, if it's making something happen, if it's stopping something that you're doing. But how many of you have a situation that you can't fix? It wouldn't matter how much money you spent. It wouldn't matter how many things you said you were sorry for. It wouldn't matter all the friends that you could call in favors. I'm guessing that most of us have a situation like that. Zig Ziglar was one of the most famous of the motivational speakers, but also a committed Christian. Zig is with the Lord now, but he made a statement years ago that I love. He said, if you treat everybody like they're hurting, you just treated 95% of people right. 
How many of you have a situation you can't fix right now? I do. I have several. What are you going to do about that? You say, well, Mark, after today, I think I'm going to pray. Are you willing to pray until something happens? See, here's what I know. No Christian is ever going to be able to say, I kept praying and nothing happened. Something will happen. It, might not, it may be exactly what you want to see happen. It may be something instantly better. It may be something that you won't even recognize at first. It may even be something that God takes away later on to bring you something better. But I mean, at the end of the day, no Christian will ever be able to say, I kept praying and nothing happened. Christians will be able to say, I quit praying early and nothing happened. Christians will be able to say, well, I stopped praying too early. But no Christian will be able to say, I kept praying and nothing happened. So when you pray, and you're determined to pray until something happens, what is it inside of you that you feel? Because here's the challenge, and I'm, I'm there and I've been there. You keep praying, you keep praying. How many of you have discovered you pray the same prayers and you keep praying? You pray Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You pray in January and J July, and you pray in 2013 and 2015, and you pray the same prayer over and over and over. What is it inside of you that keeps you praying? Well, I really had three stories I was going to tell you, so I only have time for one. In the Bible, at the beginning of the Hebrew nation, there was a man named Jacob. Now, the thing about Jacob, there were two characteristics that tended to shape his life. One characteristic was he was a total screw-up. And the other characteristic is that God blessed him all the time. I think I should have been called Jacob. Because <laughs> give Jacob a situation, he could screw it up. But God is good to him. So, I mean, how many of us instantly, male and female, we sort of find commonality with Jacob? And you know what he, you know he screwed up most things? He screwed it up by pushing himself instead of depending upon God. He cheated his brother Esau out of the blessing. That's the financial blessing of the family. And, and it screwed up that situation. Esau said to Jacob, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob has to run for his life for 20 years. And he goes up and he gets really, really rich because God's blessing is on him. He marries. He's got kids now. But the problem is he, he screws up that situation. And so now he can't stay there and he has to go back home. But the problem is his brother has said he's going to kill him. And on the way, he finds out that no, time has not healed all wounds. His brother is coming to kill him with an army of 400 men. And not only does Jacob have to worry about his own self, he has to worry about his family. So in this moment that we're getting to, it's getting close to night, and Jacob is getting closer and closer and closer to his brother and his enemy army. So Jacob does the last thing that he knows to do. He gets his herds and his flocks, and he starts making presents for Esau. Now, people didn't use cash in those days. It was livestock. So Jacob puts one group of livestock out there, and he sends it forward with a, with a servant, and so that when Esau comes, and Esau says, what's all this stuff? And it's like, well, it's a present from your brother Jacob. And so Jacob is hoping that calms him down a little bit. Then he sends another present a little while later. What's this? Oh, it's another present from your brother Jacob. Oh, and then other presents. So Jacob is doing everything he knows to do. He sends his family across the brook so that they can scatter if he's attacked. And he's all by himself, and he is alone. 
What happens next, I think, is God's picture metaphor for you and me when we pray. The Bible simply says that Jacob wrestled with an angel. Now, angel there, don't don't get the idea that everything in the Bible is angels. These are white things that flutter around with wings. The word, Greek word that we get a word angel from, angelos, just simply means messenger. So this is a messenger from God. I personally think it was a, a Christophany, a vision of Christ. And so Jacob in this angel, as we say in Texas, wrestle all night long. Now, Jacob's not holding that angel there. When, when this messenger of God got ready to leave, he just touched Jacob, and Jacob has a hard time walking. But I want you to understand that Jacob, for the first time in his life, has to wrestle for something. And all night long, he wrestles. And finally, at sunup, the messenger of God says, let me go, for the sun is coming up. And Jacob makes the statement at that moment that I think all of us need to understand is the attitude of praying until something happens. In Genesis 32, verse 26, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That is what it means to pray until something happens. It is you reaching out by faith to God and saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. For some strange, cosmic, transcendent, eternal reason, God loves that kind of thing. He answered for Jacob. He will answer for you. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Pray until something happens. Thanks for being here.